Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome, I'm Lyle Shelton. It's a privilege for me to come to you on Australian Digital Holdings TV for the first time. With mainstream media continually letting us down and proving itself untrustworthy, platforms like this are the future. I'm looking forward to bringing you stories and interviews that you won't see in the legacy media because what really matters does not suit their narrative. I want this show to shine a light on what is being suppressed and to give a voice to the voiceless. Now, the show kicks off looking at bombshell new research showing that experimental gender treatments on children are not working. We'll look at the relentless attack on religious schools, and I'll, quest, I'll ask the question, are we ignoring the drumbeats for war on our doorstep? All that and more, please stick around. A big story broke in the weekend Australian last Saturday, which was of such magnitude that it should have been running all week. But of course, it's being ignored. Research by senior clinicians at the New South Wales Children's Hospital Westmead's Child Gender Clinic casts further doubt on the scientific basis for affirming and medically treating children who wished to change gender. Now, the study found 88% of children presenting had at least one comorbid mental health condition. Now, this means that for the overwhelming majority of children struggling with their gender identity, there were other significant problems going on in their lives. These issues should perhaps be addressed before any clinician suggests boys should be wearing dresses and girls should bind their breasts. The research also found that treating children with puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones was not resolving their mental health issues. 44 out of 50 children diagnosed with gender dysphoria reported ongoing mental health concerns four to nine years after presentation. Now, the United Kingdom closed its child gender clinic, the Tavistock Centre in London, after a review by paediatrician Dr Hilary Cass found children were being harmed. Yet here in Australia, there has been virtually no scrutiny. Despite LGBTIQA plus political activists continually asserting the effects of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones are harmless, the CHW study found the opposite. Now, the Weekend Australian reported the following, quote, endocrine reviews of the CHW patient cohort documented side effects in 23 of the 49 young people prescribed puberty blockers, including low bone density, hot flushes, weight gain, and anxiety. The CHW doctors raised concerns about the long-term effects on patients' sexual function in adulthood, end quote. Now, the Australian also reported that the effects of cross-sex hormones, including infertility, are irreversible, something that's been well-known but suppressed in the mainstream media. Also irreversible is so-called gender affirmation surgery. One woman named Karen, who had chest masculization surgery and then later detransitioned, 
told the University of, of Western Sydney researchers the following. It really, it was really hard knowing that my son, this is her baby son, wanted to breastfeed and I couldn't give him that. And when they put him on my stomach, he crawled up, he was looking for my breasts and he couldn't find them. And he tried to suck on my chin. And he spent so much time in his early life trying to find my breasts, end quote. Now, none of this information is particularly new to those of us who have been following this debate over the past seven or eight years. What is new is that the mainstream media and clinicians are slowly lifting their self-censorship, having been cowed by fear of being labelled bigots and harming trans kids by LGBTI plus political activists. Now, it's ironic that the Children's Hospital Westmead research has come to light during World Pride here in Sydney. World Pride is not a bit of harmless fun. It's got more than $6.2 million of public money to spread a political ideology that is harming children. The evidence is incontrovertible. The taxpayer-funded rainbow and trans flags in public spaces like airports, railway stations, train and buses must be taken down. Australian politicians continue to ignore the evidence. They are contributing to the harm of children. It is reckless for the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to march in the Mardi Gras, which promotes teaching children their gender is fluid. Joining me now to discuss this Children's Hospital Westmead research is Dr. John Whitehall, a professor of paediatrics uh, at a Sydney university. John, you've been warning about the harms of treating gender dysphoric children with puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones and surgery for the past seven or eight years. How significant is it that this research is finally coming to light? Well, it's, it's heartening that people are uh, coming up with these uh, results. Um, they, it's not the first time that people have known about it, but it's good that this inst particular institution has, has emphasised the experimental nature. Uh, anyone seriously involved in this, even the proponents for it, have been admitting that this is uh, an experimental business. Um, and now they are, uh, Westmead, good on them, uh, is actually acknowledging it. So, um, that, that's a, it's a good step in the in the direction of uh, of reason, and also in the direction of pediatric practice, because we shouldn't be doing things uh, that don't have a research basis and uh, a, a proper experimental design. Yeah, well, John, we'll come back to you know why that's being allowed um, in a moment, but. Um You've been pointing out for a long time that you know children as young as 10 are being given puberty blockers in gender clinics around the nation. Um, what are the side effects of this as a treatment? Well, what, what needs to be understood is that the hormone which is blocked um, is at the, always at the top of a cascade that runs from within your head um, all the way down to gonads. So it causes one way or another the maturation of the testicle and the ovary, production of ovary and sperm, and also cross-sex hormones. We know that vertical process, uh, and it certainly blocks it. Now, what is also known, well known, uh, been known for years, is that the, the, the hormone which is blocked also has a horizontal effect uh, and a, a kind of a upward effect to the rest of the brain 
that's been known for the same amount of time. So if you block the vertical ones, of course you are blocking um, the horizontal effect to the rest of the brain. So what other parts of the brain? Well, receptors for the, the hormone which is blocked exist in the gray matter, the cortex part, and they're particularly uh, prevalent in the limbic system, uh, which is deep within your brain, and that uh, receives thinking and emotion and memory and coordinates that into a kind of inner sense of identity and motivation as to what you are going to do, acting upon the information that you have received. It's been well shown. Um, in laboratory animals, for example, <clears throat> in uh, Glasgow, they showed this was about um, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, they did what you would imagine would be straightforward uh, research on it. They gave blockers or administered blockers to sheep uh, it, around puberty and, and, and then worked out, well, what happens to the sheep? Well, they found that the limbic system, for example, was pathologically enlarged, hypertrophied. Then they uh, took biopsies of that and looked at it under sort of molecular investigation and found that the activity of many, many genes were disordered, upregulated or downregulated. What we're talking about here is the molecular basis for the integration of all that information and emotion and stuff and causing you to act in a certain way. That was interfered with, well known um, in the laboratories. And then, of course, those sheep they didn't sacrifice, but still had the same uh, exposure to the medicine. But what happened to them? Well, they found that they were emotionally labile, for example, um, that they preferred the familiar to the novel, and that's very, very important, and their memory was interfered with. They didn't get through the mazes very well. Now, all this has been published uh, so, for, so, so John, for years. If this has been well known, and um, you know, I've heard you speak about this at, at uh, talks that you've given around the country, you've written articles about this. Why, why is this allowed to be used on children as young as 10? And um, we're continually told by the political activists who, who lobby for this that uh, the effects of puberty blockers are reversible. So if a child decides not to go with their transition, um, everything's going to be fine. Is, is that really the case? Well, it is certainly the case that they have kept up this mantra. Uh, the puberty blockers are safe and entirely reversible, safe and entirely reversible. And even on the Australian story, for example, that the leader of the gender clinic in Melbourne was there. She, she was there. She was repeating this time and again, safe and entirely reversal. Oh, they say, well, um, it can interfere with the calcification of your bones. So they're kind of admitting a side effect, but they have determinedly turned their back on the animal research. Hmm. Now, also there's human research, uh, for example, uh, people who are on the blockers, for example, older men with prostate cancer, uh, you, you take the block because it, it, it interferes with production of testosterone, fine. Or women with endometriosis, which is driven by estrogen, fine. They have looked at their behavior and found that, that their executive function, their decision-making, feeling and everything, um, has been less than it ought to be. Uh, but there are confounders in that. Uh, because they're older, they've got a serious disease, they're on other medicines and so forth. So 
these of these suggested side effects then were proven in by um, by research on the animals. And why did these people turn their back on that? Why did they not read it? If I can read it, you can read it. It's in all the sort of uh, electronic access. It's just why they determinedly refused to take notice of that, I cannot answer. Yeah, well, there obviously needs to be a public debate on this. Um, the other uh, so-called medication they give to uh, teenagers and minors is uh, cross-sex hormones. Um, what's, what's the impact on cross-sex hormones on a developing brain? Well, uh, in the adult brain, there are two independent studies uh, show, and I'm quoting one uh, by a fellow named Hulshoff Pohl and others, uh, administration of estrogens, female hormones, uh, to an adult male brain causes the brain to shrink in size 10 times faster than aging after only four months administration. And there was a corroborative study by a fellow named a group called Zubier. So this has been known. So, now, John, are we being uh, asked to believe, though, you know, you're talking adult studies here, but are the people who run the child gender clinics and the political activists who support them, are they trying to say that these, uh, this brain shrinkage doesn't occur, you know, on teenagers because they're different to adults? What, what's, the, what's the scientific rationale that they want us to believe? Uh, well, they mention other side effects. Certainly, if you're taking testosterone and you're a, you're a female, you have a higher rate of thrombosis and other things. There's a whole list of things, but nobody mentions the B word, the effect on the brain. Now, you can imagine in this day and age of uh, fear about COVID vaccinations, if a COVID vaccination shrank your brain only at 1% uh, per year, there would be a fiasco about it. Here, it's been known 10 times faster than aging after only four months administration. I don't know why this has been suppressed. You know, it, it was raised in a family court, uh, one of the most, the, the, the latest ones before they abdicated their responsibility in this. And these effects, they basically said, well, Whitehall's putting too much importance on animal studies as if we don't use animal studies for the basis for every new medicine, Whitehall's putting too much weight on the animal studies and the effects on the brain are just subtle. Subtle. Can you imagine that? If that was in the COVID vaccination, 10 times faster than aging. Uh, it, it has been, what worries me about all this is that sooner or later, the existential confidence people have in children's hospitals and in Australia, our, our refusal to experiment on children, sooner or later, the great confidence that has been built up, deservedly so, is going to be questioned because people have not simply read the literature. So, so John, what, what's got to happen now? I mean, you're, you're a clinician, you're a paediatrician, uh, your colleagues at Westmead uh, have, have released this bombshell research What's the response that our politicians should be uh, taking to, to this knowledge that's now starting to seep out into the public square? I can't explain the politicians. Uh, for example, in, in, in Victoria, under the Change and Suppression Act, 
If I were to be counselling the parents of a child who wanted to be affirmed to a new sex, a new gender, if I counselled that, if I counselled in the op, if I tried to make the child content in the skin in which he was born, to quote somebody else, there's up to 10 years in jail, plus hundreds of thousand dollars of fines. Worse, and nobody seems to understand this, nobody seems to kick up a fuss, they have reversed the traditional onus of proof in Victoria. In other words, you are guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. How they could do that in, in any legislation, I don't know. Yeah, now, no. what happened, Mr. Perrottet? He's going to um, make it. He's going to make it a, a, a criminal act as well. No, that, that's and right, John. He, he's he's following in the steps of uh, Premier Daniel Andrews down there in Victoria, who introduced that Change and Suppression Act, which you just described. Which was also, I have to say, and our viewers need to know this: it was supported by the Liberal Party in the lead up to the last election. Matthew Guy said he would not change that act, and of course, uh, Alex Greenwich, the uh, homosexual member of Parliament here, independent in the New South Wales Parliament has now got a public commitment from Dominic Perrottet and Labor's Chris Minns that they will introduce Victorian-style legislation here that would criminalise even parents and obviously clinicians like you who tried to suggest an alternative pathway to children struggling with their gender. That, that, must, that, that should send a chill up the spine of every parent and every counsellor and clinician, I would have thought. Well it, well, it ought to. I was disgusted with the Liberal Party in Victoria, uh, despite talking with them and many of them said yeah yeah we understand and we, we gave them the literature and so forth in the end only two <coughs> voted against the change in suppression act there only two and one subsequently has been sacked now uh, we i hear unofficially that the led that this legislature in new south wales is likely to be at least as ferocious yeah. as that in victoria or even worse Yep. So uh, there'll be a problem in, with Westmead if they go ahead with their with their plans here. And hang on, we, we should be looking at the, practicing psychotherapy. We should be looking at psychiatric comorbidities. We should be looking at earlier causes for this gender confusion. And if they go down the pathway then of saying, well, we don't want to, we think that you should, we should, we should concentrate on on making you content to be the boy that that's congruent with your chromosomes, well, they, well, they, will, run, they will be committing a criminal act. Perrottet hmm. is tightening, tying all this up in legal stuff. Yeah, it's frightening stuff. Gonna... It's, it's absolutely frightening stuff. Um, the, the Weekend Australian article, which revealed the, the Westmead um, Children's Hospital research, uh, also quoted a solicitor, Bill Cordes, who was involved in a family court action recently, and you're, you're talking about the legal stuff here, uh, John, um, but he was acting on behalf of parents who were trying to stop their child from taking the advice of a gender clinic, and, and I believe he, he won that case, but it's very clear that under Alex Greenwich's bill, supported by Perrottet and Minns, uh, it would be illegal to even, uh, for, for parents to even take this sort of action in the family court, because that would be suppressing someone's gender identity. Um, are, are we, looking in the future at big class actions from uh, people who have been damaged as children, later as, as adults, regretting uh, their transitions. Is that something the politicians should be thinking about? 
well, the, the financiers of the children's hospital should be. Um, I understand that there's a class action against this uh, stuff in Tavistock in England, but we have a case here. The Rogers versus Whitaker case was now 30 years or so. Dr. Rogers was an ophthalmologist who regrettably failed uh, to tell a lady that if he operated on this eye, there might be a funny autoimmune reaction in that eye. It went all the way to the High Court. And the High Court said that a doctor must tell a patient, fully inform a patient of all possible um, side effects, even at a rate of one in 12,000. Now, uh, this, the, the children's hospitals until now have been completely vulnerable to this mm. because they're not mentioning all these researchers uh, which have been found in, in various animals and so forth. Um, they're very, very legally vulnerable. Well, John, you know, it's a shame that the politicians are not legally vulnerable. And particularly, as you just disclosed a few moments ago, you know, you were personally involved in lobbying parliamentarians in Victoria while they were debating that change and suppression bill, the one that Alex Greenwich wants to bring here to New South Wales, uh, identical. Uh, and uh, they ignored your medical advice and, and only two voted against us, one of whom, was, of course, uh, was Bernie Finn, who as you say, was uh, expelled from the party, a great champion. But that, that's what the Liberal Party did to someone who listened to the advice of a leading paediatrician. Uh, John, we're in, um, we're in uncharted waters here where the evidence, the medical evidence, doesn't matter. Um, I just wish that the politicians could be sued for their negligence. But uh, unfortunately, as you say, it'll be the children's hospitals uh, over time as the parents bring these class actions or, or the victims bring class actions. Yes, and it'll be the lifelong uh, regret of many of the children who have been on these blockers and cross-sex hormones and taken the next step. And one of the animal studies, I'll just quickly say, one of the animal studies showed that um, once they were on the blockers, they preferred, preferred the familiar to the novel. What does that mean? What becomes the familiar to a child who has been socially affirmed? And here, the schools are going ahead with this kind of program. The familiar becomes, yeah, yeah, you're a girl, all right. Oh, you're really a boy, you're a girl. And uh, these little posters on the wall and rainbow signs everywhere and lots of people to support you and so forth. That becomes the familiar. So what's the next step? Can that child then adopt the novel, which is to say, no, I'm going to change my mind? See, the, that's what happens in the, in the animal studies. It showed that the animals did not want to change their mind did not want to leave the, the, the company of their peers and so forth. So there's a biological underpinning here of why if you socially affirm a child, that is not a neutral act. That's putting the child on the first step of an escalator and the next step is going to be the cross-sex hormones and following that, um, uh, the next step is going to be blockers, then the cross-sex hormones. That's why I've been very critical of the most recent studies most recent articles coming out saying that in Christian schools, um, find that have actually very boldly that report said this is a psychological issue. That's a bold thing for them to say. But uh, they then said, but basically we will go ahead with it. If the child thinks it's a girl, fine, he can wear a dress. And then there's the cross, you can go to the other toileting, you can go to the change rooms, you can participate in sport, uh, claiming to be a girl and so forth. This is not a neutral thing. This is a very powerful uh, psychological intervention in the life of the child, which is more than likely, almost 
inevitable that the child will then go on to the cross-sex hormones. Yeah. That's why I have been very, very critical in an article in Quadrant, for example, um, about this new thing. And that's what everyone wants. You're yeah, socially affirmed. Fine. Once you get on that escalator, it's almost impossible to get off. Well, John, uh, millions of us are very grateful for the courage you've shown. And it has been over seven or eight years, I think, since you and I met. Um, you've been ignored by the mainstream media. Uh, I think vindication is coming, sadly, at the expense of children's lives who have been damaged. And I would just encourage uh, all our audience, our viewers out there to, uh, to go to Quadrant, to, to Google uh, Professor John Whitehall, read his articles. He's been writing for a long time, sounding this alarm. And as we look around the city of Sydney, those of us who live here and see all these taxpayer funded rainbow flags to realise this is the political ideology uh, and the consequences of that ideology on children. This is not uh, some harmless thing that's being perpet per perpetrated uh, on us. So, uh, Professor Whitehall, thank you so much for giving of your time today and joining us on the show. You're welcome, Lord. Thank you. This government has made it illegal for parents and clinicians of gender dysphoric children to seek out any treatments at all, no matter how reasonable, if they are designed to naturally alleviate the dysphoric feelings and leave the child's body intact. In Victoria, that is simply not allowed. In Victoria, doctors will lose their medical licences and parents will lose their children unless they affirm and entrench that dysphoria via experimental conversion therapies which try to socially, surgically and hormonally convert boys into an approximation of girls and girls into an approximation of boys. What you heard there was one of the most courageous parliamentarians in our nation. She is also one of the newest. Moira Deeming was elected to the Victorian Upper House at last November's state election as a Liberal. What she just described in her maiden speech this week is also Victorian Liberal Party policy. Yes, you heard that right. The Liberals are on a unity ticket with the Labor Premier Dan Andrews' so-called conversion therapy law, which jails anyone, including parents, who try to talk to a child about going to a gender clinic or try to talk them out of going to a gender clinic. So it took extra courage to speak up for the vulnerable and misled children. The speech has not been reported in the media, apart from Dan Andrews and Greens leader Samantha Ratnam condemning deeming, deeming as a transphobe. Now, politics in this nation must change. The radical left and the libertarian right must stop calling people names and start engaging in debate. Children are being harmed and experts and parents are being cowed into silence because of this unjust conversion therapy law, which makes it illegal to prevent a child from being given experimental and harmful gender treatments. In New South Wales, Premier Dominic Perrottet and Labor leader Chris Minns both last week pledged to support similar conversion therapy bills after the March 25 election. Now, under pressure from the homosexual MP Alex Greenwich in the lead up to Sydney World Pride, they both capitulated. How many children will be harmed because of the recklessness of these men? If you go to Moira Deeming's Facebook page, you can watch her entire speech. Send her a message of support because mainstream politics, including her own party, is not behind her. But that's where you and I can help to make a difference. You have no idea what your encouragement will mean to her. One of the few with courage, she is a politician to watch. Children's lives depend on her success. 
what are your member schools facing if the proposals in this paper are given the force of law? Uh, devastation, uh, frankly. That was Mark Spencer, the head of public policy at Christian Schools Australia. The Christian school movement this week sensationally, and in my view, rightly, pulled out of a government consultation process designed to recommend it new anti-discrimination laws. Now, folks, we're in uncharted territory here where formerly mild-mannered Christian organisations are taking action that borders on civil disobedience. Such is the threat to their existence. Who, who would have ever thought this would happen in Australia? Two peak Christian bodies, Christian Schools Australia and the Australian Association of Christian Schools, said they had lost faith in the Australian Law Reform Commission, which on behalf of the Albanese government is consulting on the changes. The two groups educate around 150,000 children, more than the public system could accommodate if Christian schools were no longer allowed to be Christian. So what's all the fuss about? Well, three weeks ago, the ALRC proposed stripping religious schools and higher education organisations of the freedom to employ staff who believed and modelled their faith convictions. Now, if a Christian school can't employ Christian teachers, then it is no longer a Christian school. But the Albanese government, i.e. the state, is stepping over a line and dictating theology to the church's school movement. This is despite five years of debate and consultation through the Ruddick Commission into Religious Freedom in the wake of the 2017 same-sex marriage plebiscite. Now, the redefinition of marriage in law opened vulnerabilities for freedom of religion and freedom of speech, which remain unresolved. LGBTIQA plus political activists have been waging war on Christian schools ever since the marriage plebiscite, scuttling the Morrison government's attempts to introduce even a feeble religious discrimination bill into the parliament last year. The latest attempt to resolve the freedom crisis is the ALRC process instigated by Attorney General Mark Dreyfus. But instead of proposing ways of allowing Christian schools to exist in a pluralistic and post-same-sex marriage environment, the ALRC did the bidding of LGBTIQA political activists and made recommendations that will effectively end Christian education in Australia. It will take strength from the Albanese government to resist their demands. Now, with the Prime Minister due to become the first to march as PM in the Mardi Gras, he will have to disappoint the activists who have so much sway over his government and the ALRC if it is to keep his promise to allow Christian schools to employ staff who share their ethos. Now, in a letter to Dreyfus, CSA's Mark Spencer said this, the ALRC has rejected everything that we've said before and gone off on a completely radical tangent. If this is the starting point, we don't have any confidence we are going to end up with a sensible or balanced proposal, end quote. The government is coming for Christian schools. If they don't back down, churches will be next. The end game here is the prospect of war. Oh, yeah. If China makes a move on Taiwan. Given the strength of China, given what we've got, given the allies that we've got, what would war look like in this region? I think it'd be far worse than anything in the 20th century. Far worse. Would it be World War Three? Would we be talking about World War Three? I think it would be. 
Australia is likely to be embroiled in a war with China sooner than we think. The public needs to wake up and quickly. This was the shocking takeout of journalist Peter Stefanovic's documentary, Are We Ready for War?, screened on Sky News last week. The answer, sadly, is a resounding no. Speaking from beyond the grave, having just uh, given his last television interview to Stefanovic before he died of cancer, former Major General Jim Molan urged Australians to accept at least a doubling of the defence budget. How would you specify what the threat is? I think the major threat uh, is, that, is that we are complacent as a nation. Uh, and when I look at what worries Australians at the moment, it's cost of living. Of course I understand that. I fully understand that. But there is only one organisation in Australia that can lead us out of the day-to-day -day issues that Australians are dealing with uh, to the, the, the big issues of the day, which is national security. The big threat towards us is that somehow, some way, China will challenge us as a liberal democracy. It might be in direct conflict with us. It might be in a war between us and our great and powerful friend, the Americans, with us as, 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 uh, as collateral damage to that particular war. And then, because the Americans are out of the region, we become fundamentally a tributary state, a tributary state to China. That's pretty sobering stuff. Currently, we spend $48.7 billion a year, or 1.96% of our GDP, on defence. Now, Defence Minister Richard Miles was non-committal when asked by Stefanovic uh, about whether we should increase that. Now, Molan said the Allies uh, had at least 18-month warning uh, period before the start of hostilities way back in World War II. But the Chinese Communist Party which has one million soldiers and two million military personnel, the world's largest, has us on notice right now. Not that the public have any awareness, but they should be jolted now. They, the CCP, according to Molan, have already given us warning. We are within the strategic warning time for the next war. This is what Molan told Stefanovic in this, in this frightening and shocking documentary. Dictator Xi Jinping has already declared he will take Taiwan with force if necessary. Now, more than 2,700 sorties have, been, have violated Taiwanese airspace already this year in what is a major escalation. The Chinese Communist Party has the capacity to take out satellites, which the American and Australian military rely on as well as they have the ability to cut undersea cables. Molan thinks an initial Chinese strike would be with missiles against American bases and ships in the Western Pacific, destroying US capability to defend Taiwan. Australia would inevitably be drawn into helping the US in any action, not just because we are allied with the Americans, but because Australia would be their next target. The fight for Taiwan would be a fight for Australia. Now, Australia has just 60,000 military personnel in total, which includes soldiers. Unlike Australia, Japan is acting. It will double its military spending in the next five years to US $320 billion per year, the world's third largest defence budget after the US and China. So they're getting serious. The Taiwanese government officials have told Stefanovic the democracy was willing to do whatever it takes to defend itself. Private shooting lessons have quadrupled in the last six months in Taiwan. 
Now, former SAS captain and now federal Liberal MP Andrew Hastie said, while Australia obviously could not defend itself against China, our capability was so poor, we would struggle even to defend ourselves against a peer adversary. Stefanovic played a grab of US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin saying that the Americans would not allow Australia to have a capability gap going forward. Now, while this is encouraging, we don't have enough ammunition to last even a week once the shooting starts. Our fuel reserves are offshore and our nuclear submarines are at least 20 years away. Now, this documentary was Sky News at its best. As the documentary finished, a poignant dedication to Jim Molan, AO, DSC, Major General Retired, flashed on the screen. We would honour his memory by heeding his warning urgently. Well, blackouts and brownouts are things faced by developing countries in the third world. That's why it's hard to comprehend that a first world country like Australia now faces unreliable electricity supply. But here we are. In an unscheduled warning this week, the Australian energy market operator uh, said that New South Wales could be in trouble as early as 2025, with other states to follow in 2027. Now, trying to bat away the warning as if there's nothing to see here, Albanese Government Energy Minister Chris Bowen did acknowledge that the AEMO usually issued its reports once a year. This extraordinary intervention should be a big, big wake-up call. But such is the rush by Liberal and Labor politicians to shut down affordable and reliable coal-fired power stations with the support of climate-obsessed media, no one has their eyes on the ball. Already electricity prices are through the roof because unreliable and expensive windmills and solar panels which cannot deliver baseload electricity, i.e. 24 hours a day. Only coal and gas can do that. But these cheap, abundant and reliable sources of energy are now being demonised. Politicians obsessive with the supposedly imminent climate crisis has caused this problem. Sadly, batteries cannot store enough power to run cities for more than a few minutes. And our politicians won't let us explore emissions-free nuclear power. We're stuck. New South Wales is supposed to be able to firm up unreliable wind and solar supplies with a gas firming plant at Curry Curry in the Hunter Valley, but it is way behind schedule. Malcolm Turnbull's pumped hydro scheme in the Snowies is running six years behind schedule and $18 billion over budget. That's right. It was due to be completed in four years for $2 billion, but now won't be completed until 2027, years after the blackouts are forecast to start, for an eye-watering $20 billion. With the Chinese Communist Party preparing for war, we would be better off spending a smaller amount on shoring up our electricity through gas-fired power stations and put the rest into our underfunded defence force. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Please share this show on social media. Until next week, goodbye.